0: Job 28. It is good to be back. It's good to see everybody again. I'm so thankful um, that there are men in this church that can um, continue on uh, when I'm gone and give me that opportunity to uh, take some time. I'm thankful for Mike and his ministry as uh, he preached. I'm thankful for Tim. Uh, who preached on Sunday night for me. And uh, very thankful for the men uh, that um, took over in those those roles while I was away. Job 28, this morning, we're going to go on a bit of a journey through the history of mankind. Job speaks in Job 28. He began in Job 26 with his last discourse of this um, first section of Job, after Job's discourse here in 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, there's going to be a little bit of a shift in the book. And as Job contemplates today, the topic he's contemplating is that of wisdom. There are various characteristics that define mankind, humankind, in a way that nothing else in creation may be defined. Now, we often talk about uh, many of these characteristics from a a spiritual perspective. We even talked about them a little bit this morning in our new Sunday School series on discipleship. We talk about the image of God in man. That unique reality that God has placed into mankind His image. We recognize that from the book of Genesis, that God has made us in His image and in his likeness, unlike anything else in his creation. We talk about man's sin nature, that since Adam's fall to sin, every man and woman is born into sin that is born of a human father. We talk about man's tendency toward rebellion and pride. This is one of those distinctive characteristics of mankind as well. That by our nature, by our very nature, we exalt ourselves as God at the expense of the one true God. There are some, however, qualities of man that aren't necessarily negative. Qualities of man that God has given to us that are still and yet unique to mankind and yet are somewhat positive as we think about the world around us. Job is going to speak of some of those qualities of mankind in Job 28 as he contemplates this idea of man's quest for wisdom, the question, where can wisdom be found? And as we do so, if you have your notes there, you're going to see that we are going to look at three considerations from Job 28 about men and wisdom. Three considerations about mankind and wisdom from Job 28. And the first thing, the first consideration this morning is this. Consider man's ability. Consider man's ability. As Job continues his speech, his, as we'll see in, in chapter 29, uh, this is called a parable or a proverb. As he continues his proverb... He speaks of man's inherent thirst for discovery in verses 1 through 4. Look at it with me. Surely there is a vein for the silver and a place for gold where they find it or where they um, refine it, where they um, dig it, where they mold it and such. Iron is taken out of the earth and brass is molten out of the stone. He setteth an end to darkness and searcheth out all perfection, the stones of darkness and the shadow of death the flood breaketh out of the inhabitants, even the waters forgotten of the foot, they are dried up, they are gone away from men. Job is describing mankind here and his need for discovery, his desire to take, look at a mountain and to mine it for ore, for iron, for brass, for gold, for silver, to build, to create, these things that are inherent in mankind. Back in 1480, there was a man born in Portugal named Ferdinand Magellan. He was an adept seaman, and by his mid-twenties, he was sailing large navy vessels with great skill. In 1519, at age 39, Ferdinand Magellan was commissioned with the support of King Charles V of Spain to circumnavigate the globe. That word circumnavigate simply means to go around the entire world breadth of the globe, and he was going to do it by sea. Magellan set out with five ships. He first sailed to Brazil. Then he went down South America to the tip and went around the tip of South America. Here, one of the sailing vessels was shipwrecked. At the same time, or near that time, there was a mutiny attempted, That was subdued. There were four vessels now. In 1521, Magellan made it to Guam. Then he would go to the Philippines. In the Philippines, he banded himself with a group of uh, Roman Catholics who were seeking to, by force, as the Roman Catholics often did, bring religion to the natives. So he banded together with them in a um, holy war, attempting to convert some tribes to Christianity, And in the Philippines, Magellan was killed. His crew continued on from the Philippines, getting around the Cape of Good Hope, which is on the southern tip of Africa, in May of 1522. On September 6th of 1522, with only 18 survivors aboard of one ship, the ship sailed into Spain. 232 seamen lost, four ships sunk, And for what? Exploration. In the name of discovery, exploration, adventure, 232 men gave their lives. Four ships sunk. We could list many other familiar names of explorers, could we not? Lewis and Clark. Hernando Cortez. Christopher Columbus. The list could go on. By these men, the earth was charted. Lands discovered, seas mapped, rivers, mountains, all sorts of things. Well, we are now in the 21st century. The earth is charted. As a matter of fact, even the bottoms of the oceans are charted. What's next? Where do we go? Well, we're done, right? We've charted, we've discovered, we've found, we're done. Wrong. Wrong. Because humans aren't like that. We don't stop. We must discover. We must explore. It's a part of who we are. So now we just go places higher. We go places smaller. We go places deeper. We've charted the oceans, but we haven't been to all of it. We've got to get there, right? We've charted the human DNA code, but we haven't completely understood it yet. We've got to keep searching. We've seen a great deal of the heavens, but we've not anywhere close to all of them. We've got to keep looking. We are explorers. We get into the cells, to molecules, to atoms, to quarks. Go small, go big, go far, go near. Perhaps the pinnacle of human exploration, to some degree or another, was on July 20th, 1969, when the United States astronauts stepped foot on the moon. Such success revealed man's inherent need to explore, and if he can't do it on this earth, he's going to do it beyond this earth. But you know, it also revealed something else about humans. All of this exploration, all of this searching, all of this discovery reveals some great things about mankind's abilities. But it reveals some other things as well. Something that Job continues to speak of in verses 5-11. through Look at it with me. He says, As for the earth, out of it cometh bread, and under it is turned up, as it were, fire. The stones of it are the place of sapphires, and it hath dust of gold. There is a path which no fowl knoweth, and which the vulture's eye hath not seen. The lion's whelp hath not trodden it, nor the fierce lion passed by it. He putteth forth his hand upon the rock. He overturneth the mountain by the roots. He cutteth out rivers among the rocks, and his eye seeth every precious thing. He bindeth the floods from overflowing, and that thing that is hid bringeth he forth to light. Job is speaking here of man's abilities to drive and discover, but also his ability to command and subdue the earth. Mankind lives through taming the fields. As things grow, as we tame the fields, we grow that which we need to be sustained: the wheat and the corn and the vegetables and such. Mankind can also use His skill and His knowledge to tame mountains, to subdue rivers. We see great dams. We see holes, tunnels going straight through mountains. And we might look at mankind and His ability and say, collectively, is there anything that is impossible for man? Consider with me some of the feats of mankind this morning. The great pyramids... The Great Pyramid, specifically, in Gaza, Egypt. The oldest and largest of the three pyramids is the Great Pyramid. It stands 481 feet tall. For 3800 years it was the tallest man-made structure. Tremendous feat of engineering. Engineers are still studying the Great Pyramid to try to figure things out today, in the midst of all of our technology. The Roman Colosseum, built, completed in AD 80. That's just 10 years after the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem. This amphitheater could hold 50,000 spectators back in AD 80. It's huge, tremendous. The architecture, the detail, The floor, underneath the floor where the gladiators and animals were kept, it is said that the the floor of the Colosseum itself was certainly, it was a sand Colosseum, but it had gold dust in it to show the glory of Rome. When the sun would fall upon that floor of the Colosseum, it would sparkle from this gold dust. Magnificent structure, magnificent feat of engineering. AD 80, nearly 2,000 years ago. Great Wall of China, built over a span of some 500 years, from 700 B.C. to 200 B.C. Remember, this is B.C., built hundreds of years before Jesus Christ walked the earth. The wall, in total, spans 5,500 miles, made up of 3,889 miles miles of actual wall. The rest of the span there is natural barriers. Built over 500 years. Tremendous feat of engineering. Hoover Dam, on the border between Arizona and Nevada. Completed in 1936. It's a concrete arch gravity dam. Another tremendous feat of engineering. 3,250,000 cubic yards of concrete used to build this dam. Khalifa Tower in Dubai, currently the tallest man-made structure in the world, stands 2,722 feet tall to the top of its spire. Another tremendous feat of engineering. You see these very large buildings around it. Huge. We've gone big, think small. Nuclear fission. The ability to split the nucleus of an atom into smaller parts. This fission process releases large amounts of energy that can be harnessed for various purposes. Uh, particularly in this century, it's been harnessed, harnessed this past century. It's been harnessed to make bombs. can also make great power sources uh, through nuclear reactors. Nuclear fission was achieved in 1938. We consider such a small, rather incomplete list of man's accomplishments. Some of them spanning back to... 500 B.C. and the tremendous ability that man has always had to create, to engineer, to build lasting structures, we might think, is there any wonder that mankind desires to worship himself? Is it any wonder that as far back as Babel, mankind has sought to build structures to glorify himself, to reach into the gods? Since these days, those days of Babel, humanity has expressed their perceived superiority over all things by developing technologies, making dramatic monuments to their own intelligence and strength. So much so that we often hear that thought echoed, is there anything that mankind in himself cannot achieve? Well, yes, there is. There are many things that mankind cannot in himself achieve. Those things are found in the Word of God. One of those things that mankind cannot achieve is the topic of the rest of what Job is saying here in Job 28. That element that is personally indiscoverable, personally unachievable for mankind is wisdom. It's wisdom. We've considered mankind's ability this morning. We've seen dramatic, tremendous monuments to mankind's own ability. Let's consider, however, secondly, wisdom's elusiveness to mankind. Consider second uh, wisdom's elusiveness to mankind in verses 12 through 22 of Job 28. Job has expounded upon man's determination to explore every inch of his world, to learn, to subdue, to conquer, to overcome, to prevail. But then he asks a question, one which has greatly bothered philosophers and thinkers for thousands of years. Look at it with me in verse 12. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? He goes on in verses 13-19 to to describe the difficulty with which man searches for wisdom. In verse 13 he says man doesn't know the price to simply buy it. Man has great jewels, but he can't simply buy wisdom. He doesn't know the price. In verse 14 he says it's not in the depths of the sea where men can discover the means of finding it. Verse 14, he says, The depth saith it's not in me. Wisdom is not in me. So mankind can't just go to the bottom of the sea and get wisdom. Mankind can't just produce enough money to buy wisdom. Verse 15 says, Even if a man could buy it, even if a man had the money, even if he knew the price, it can't be bought for gold. It is priceless. It is not for sale. When you open the newspaper on any given day, perhaps you peruse the stock page, or you look down at the list of commodities, and as you look down at that list of commodities, and their buying price and their selling price, and their spot price and such, you're not going to find, listed among them, you're gonna see silver, you're gonna see gold, you're gonna see platinum, you're gonna see oil, you're gonna see cardboard, you're gonna see lots of things, but you're not gonna see wisdom on that list. Wisdom is not a commodity to be bought or sold. It's not to be dug out of the ground. It's not to be extracted from careful means. You can't barter for wisdom. You can't trade somebody what you have in order to get wisdom. You'll never see two boys on the recess, at, or on, on the playground at recess. Uh, one pulls out a baseball card, the other pulls out a handful of wisdom, and they trade. You're never going to see it happen. Wisdom can't be bought or sold. It can't be traded. Now, let me just qualify here. Proverbs speaks of wisdom in a commodity source. It says, buy wisdom and sell it not. The um, writer of Proverbs is using figurative language. We understand that there. Job is doing the exact same thing here, except he's showing, making his point, that wisdom cannot simply be gained in the same way mankind gains everything else. Job's statements begin in verses 15 to 19 to take on a dual meaning. He makes it clear that from a material perspective, wisdom is unattainable. But he also states in verse 18 that from a spiritual and a practical perspective, wisdom is priceless. You cannot buy it at the store. If you could, it would be beyond any amount. You cannot trade for it. But if you could, you'd never be able to afford it anyway. Wisdom is a precious thing. It is a valuable thing. And it is worth far more than a material sum that could be reckoned for it. I spoke of Proverbs already. Proverbs 4 speaks of the preciousness of wisdom. Proverbs 4 is written from a father to his child, and he says this beginning in verse 5. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace. A crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. And so wisdom is attainable, but you can't barter for it. You can get it, but you can't pay for it. Wisdom. Where is this wisdom if you can't buy it? If you cannot forge the earth for it? If you cannot go out to the mountains and dig until you find it? If you cannot get a submersible and go to the very depths to discover it? If it's not built with human hand, if it's not built by a machine, then where is wisdom to be found? Where do we get it from? That's the question Job asks in verses 20-22. to Look at it with me. Whence then cometh wisdom, and where is the place of understanding? Seeing it is hid from the eyes of all living and kept close from the fowls of the air, destruction and death say we have heard the fame thereof with our ears. Where is this wisdom? We've considered man's ability we've considered wisdom's elusiveness to mankind third and finally with me this morning consider wisdom's source consider wisdom's source where is wisdom verses 23 through 28 verse 23 tells us this god understandeth the way thereof and he knoweth the place thereof wisdom is with God. God understands the way of wisdom. God knows the place of wisdom. And how is that? That He knows the way. How is that that He knows the place? We'll look at 24-27. through For He looketh to the ends of the earth and seeth under the whole heaven to make the weight for the winds. And He weigheth the waters by measure when He maketh a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder when he see when he when did he excuse me then did he see it and declare it he prepared it yea and searched it out job is saying this god has wisdom because god is wisdom wisdom is not simply found with god wisdom is found in god he's describing here the god that Weighs the winds. He's describing here the God that measures the seas with His hands. He's describing here the God that decrees the rain, that directs the lightning and the thunder. And as we look at the lightning and the thunder and the rain and the wind, as we see the magnificent splendor of creation all around us, we see wisdom. But it's not wisdom in itself, it's wisdom of the Creator of it. The wisdom is in God. God's character is wisdom. God's works are wisdom. God's will is wisdom. If you want wisdom, you look to God. If you are looking at God, you find wisdom. So Job gives the answer that all men are looking for in verse 28. And unto man he said, and unto man God said, this is God. Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. To depart from evil is understanding. What is wisdom's source? Wisdom's source is God. How can I get wisdom? I must get it from God. Where can I find wisdom? Wisdom is found in God. How do I appropriate wisdom into my life? How does mankind and wisdom, where do they intersect along the road? God has created all things. God is working out His purposes in wisdom. God is wisdom. Where does wisdom intersect with man? The fear of God is where wisdom intersects with man. You know, there's a lot to learn out there. There's a tremendous amount of worldly knowledge out there. There's... numbers of people, scores of people that have all the answers. You can go to various churches in this area and they'll tell you they have the answers. You could go to the schools in this area and they'll tell you they have the answers. You can go to the laboratories in this area and they'll tell you they have the answers. Everyone has answers. But where is wisdom found? Wisdom isn't found in programs. Wisdom isn't found in education. Wisdom isn't found in science, except to the degree that programs and education and science teach a man the fear of the Lord. For in the fear of the Lord, wisdom is found. Now, I'm not telling you we don't need to learn. I'm not telling you we don't need science. I'm not telling you we don't need education. But where is wisdom to be found? It's in God. It's in the fear of the Lord. Now before we apply and conclude, let's just place Job's statements here in the context of the book of Job. His comforters <clears throat> excuse me, have been telling him for 25 chapters of his sin. They have been appealing to their own experience. They've been appealing to their age. They've been appealing to the knowledge that was passed down by their fathers as sources of wisdom to tell Job that beyond a doubt he is a wicked sinner specifically because of the circumstances he finds himself in. But here in Job 28, Job has finally had enough. He's finally come to the point where he reminds his comforters and he reminds us as we read his words that wisdom does not rest in your experiences. Wisdom does not rest in your age. Wisdom does not rest in your father's or in the history books, or in the philosophy books. Wisdom rests in the learning of and applying of God's character to our lives. In other words, the degree of wisdom you have is directly proportional to the degree which you recognize God and conform yourself to His will. That is wisdom. We might have some very young people in this room with a great amount of wisdom. We might have some very old people in this room with very little wisdom. Because wisdom is not gauged by years. The man with the master's degree is not necessarily more wise than the man with simply a high school education. Wisdom is found in the fear of the Lord and to depart from evil is understanding. King Solomon was a man that knew wisdom well. We have talked today about the amazing wonders which men have made. And yet, many historians have reason to believe that the kingdom of Solomon outstripped every glory that you saw on the screen behind me today. His kingdom was glorious to behold. 1 Kings 10 described the kingdom of Solomon and states that money was not even accounted for. They didn't even keep the books because they didn't need to keep any books. They didn't need to worry about where their money was going because money just kept coming in. Verse 21 states of 1 Kings 10 that silver was rejected for making vessels because it was below decency. If somebody brought out their silverware For their good meal, people would be offended and say, Oh, I guess we're not very special to you. You only brought out the good silver. In verse 27, the scriptures state that the king made silver to be in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedars to be as sycamore trees in the vale for abundance. There was so much silver in the city of Jerusalem that it wasn't worth anything, it was so abundant. What a kingdom it was. Yet Solomon's days were not all glory and honor. In fact, though his kingdom was glorious and his riches untold, yet he found himself to be a man of dishonor in his latter days. Though he had great wisdom given to him by God himself, as we recall in the Scriptures, yet in the latter days of his life he abandoned wisdom to pursue earthly and material gain. To pursue the lusts of his flesh. Solomon took many wives, and 1 Kings 11 verse 4 tells us that when he was old, his wives, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. There's a book in our Bibles that describes those days where Solomon had abandoned wisdom. It's the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon describes in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 1, that he pursued after all of the pleasures which life could afford. He pursued after money. He pursued after possessions. He pursued after many, many women 300 wives and 700 concubines. He pursued after every pleasure. He had the boats, he had the gizmos. He had everything that a man could want in this life. He had it all. And in Ecclesiastes 2 1, he says it was all emptiness, it was all vanity. He goes on to describe in Ecclesiastes 2 his earthly pursuits. Let me read to you verses 2 through 11 of Ecclesiastes 2. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of mirth what doeth it? I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their lives. I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. And I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruit. I made me pools of water, to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens, and had servants born in my house. Also I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold, and peculiar treasures of kings and of the provinces. I gat me men singers and women singers, and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments, and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatsoever mine eye desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. What a description! Say, Wow, he had it pretty good. He had the silver, he had the gold, he had built great monuments to himself, he built up luxury, he had servants, he withheld nothing that he wanted from his eyes. If he saw it and he wanted it, he took it. It didn't matter. It didn't matter whose it was, he bought it. He could afford it. It didn't matter how far away it was, in any part of the world, he says, go get it for me, and they got it for him. He describes all of this. Then he says this, Then I looked at all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I labored to do and behold, it was vanity and vexation of spirit and there was no profit under the sun. He looked at everything he had, all of his money, all of his servants, all that he had built up, his legacy of everything that he had done And he says, there was no satisfaction. There was no satisfaction in it. It was vanity. He says there was no profit. And not only was it vanity, he says it vexed his spirit. It troubled him. He looked at it all and it troubled him. Why? Because it didn't satisfy him. Because though he had it all, he wanted more. Because though he could have anything he wanted, he couldn't find anything else to want. And he was unsatisfied. Listen, folks, the things of this earth will never satisfy you. If I could only just have, no, that's not going to be enough. If I could only just have a nicer car, then I'll be satisfied until the next thing comes around. If I could only have that next iPad, I'll be satisfied until the next one comes around. If I could only have a wife that was younger and prettier, I'd be satisfied until the next one comes around. It's vanity and vexation of spirit. For the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon ponders the concept of living a life under the sun. Living this human existence. Living the life of a mortal man pursuing all of the things that define the human condition. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, and at the end of his days, having reflected upon all that he had done, he declares all earthly pursuits and ambitions to be nothing but emptiness. But that's not the conclusion of the book of Ecclesiastes if you have read it and are familiar. In his musings, he again finds this wisdom that God had given to him in his youth. And in the final chapter of Ecclesiastes, the final two verses, King Solomon writes this, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing whether it be good or whether it be evil let me read to you job 28:28 28, 28 again and unto man he said behold the fear of the lord that is wisdom and to depart from evil is understanding let me read to you ecclesiastes let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter fear god and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man for god shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing whether it be good or whether it be evil and so this is wisdom fear god depart from evil we've considered today man's abilities from a certain point of view from a earthly perspective we are pretty amazing creatures are we not we can do some pretty amazing things. But we have considered one of the many things that eludes man in our earthly condition. That is wisdom. But just because a man cannot conjure it, just because he can't find it, just because he can't mine it, just because he can't discover it, doesn't mean he can't have it. Wisdom is there for the taking to any man who would be willing to do what it takes to obtain it. And where can wisdom be found? In the fear of the Lord and in keeping His commandments. Fear the Lord. Keep His commandments. So how are we doing today? How are you doing today? How am I doing today with wisdom? To fear the Lord is to recognize in your heart that God is who He is and to conform yourself to who He is. If God's character reflects it in His Word, if God's Word commands it, the fear of the Lord is what will compel you to conform yourself to it. As you reverence God, As you take God at His Word, as you trust God, as you obey God, you are fearing God. Do you fear God? Do you spend your days, your hours, are your thoughts consumed with gain, with the things of this earth, with getting, with obtaining, with living this life? There's no wisdom in that. There's no wisdom in that. Wisdom is found in fearing the Lord and departing from evil. Are you a wise man today? Are you living upon this earth with wisdom? Are you a wise woman? Are you living upon this earth in a manner that is befitting a wise woman? Are you a wise child? Are you conducting yourselves in your family, with your friends, in a manner that exhibits wisdom? And unto man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding.